Hey, Katie. Hi, Ben. You are here in person again. It's really exciting. That's fantastic. Um, what are we talking about today? Uh, we're going to do a little bit of technical deep dives on maximum margin classifiers. Sounds like fun. You're listening to Linear Digressions. Maximal mar- It's really weird recording I know. This across is very the table strange. From, like, this is if very I close strange. my eyes, it's a little bit easier. <laughs> For folks who are listening and don't understand this conversation, by the way, uh, I live in Chicago. Ben lives in the San Francisco Bay Area. I am visiting the Bay Area for the first time in a while. Like a year and a half. Yeah. It's been a really long time. And so we were sitting in the same physical room for the first time in years and looking at each other. Is a year and a half years? Yeah, it's more than one. It's less than two, though. Anyway, and and here we are. Yeah, so so we're really excited. Yeah. (laughs) Maximal margin... Classifiers. Classifiers, okay. (laughs) Yeah, so this is a topic that in and of itself is maybe not the most revolutionary thing, but uh, I think what I'm kind of trying to do is over a few episodes build up to support vector machines, which are pretty complicated and have a few pieces of of inner uh, engines that make them work, and maximum margin classifiers are one of them. So. Got it. Okay, so so bearing bearing with us here, because there are a couple steps to get where we ultimately want to go. Yeah, but just by themselves, maximum margin classifiers are interesting, I think, and a useful way of thinking about how to make a good classifier. So let's talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you're building a classifier, there's a question of what what makes a classifier good. Um, and so very often it's doing something like it's trying to optimize for the cross entropy, which is how good of a job your classifier does at getting all the zeros on one side and all the ones on the other. You mm-hmm. want to have, you know, a pretty, pretty high purity of each class on either side of your classifier. There's accuracy. And so those are metrics that I think are, they strike me as very binary in the mm-hmm. sense that uh, they're just saying, did you get this right or did you get this wrong in terms of the prediction that you're making for each example? And you want to get, it's good for, to get more right and it's bad to get more wrong. Right. And, it's pretty simple. Yeah. And it, it doesn't necessarily have a sense of that there are certain examples that can be more right than others. And oh, so, interesting. Okay. Yeah, so here's a little bit what I mean by that. I think it's really helpful to visualize this in terms of what we call sometimes a decision boundary. So unfortunately, this is an audio format, and so I'm going to kind of paint you a word picture here. Mm-hmm. But imagine that you have kind of your standard XY grid, and you have blue dots on one side, and you have red Xs on the other side. And what you're trying to do is come up with some kind of line, curve, uh, that sort of thing that divides all of the territory of the reds from the territory of the blues. Okay, got it. And I imagine that if you have, uh, let's say you have a really pure example and you have a ton of blues that are all the way on the left and a ton of reds that are all the way on the right, you could draw a lot of different lines in between. Uh, Yeah, that's right. That's right. And so the question then is if there's lots of different decision boundaries that could be good ones, how do we define what the best one is? Because we don't want to be in a spot where we're trying to decide from amongst many equally good options. And so the idea of a maximal margin classifier is it says, well, let's define, besides just did we get it right or did we get it wrong, um, sort of by how much did we get it right or by how much did we get it wrong, and that we define that by, in this case, saying that there's something called a margin. And the margin is the distance from a given point to the nearest point on the decision boundary to it. 
Okay, so like the distance between the line and the point, or each of the points, we'll say. Yeah, so if you if you imagine maybe uh, sometimes you see little kids and they share a room and they fight with each other, like yeah. siblings. Yeah, I, I was one of those. Yeah, and then you do the tape line down the middle of the room, mm -hmm. and that tape line is the decision boundary. I never did that because we had bunk beds. Oh, you, so can't really, you can't really draw a three-dimensional line that separates your bunk beds and the rest of the room. Oh, so my sister, and I, my sister and I had two. We each had regular beds, but we didn't fight enough that we had to do the tape line. Um, but but imagine that you had yeah, two okay. very combative children, right? Yeah. And so then if you have, let's say one kid has like some really, some really awesome Legos and the other one like wants to take their Legos, then you imagine if you're the kid – has the Legos, you want to keep them far away from the decision boundary, mm -hmm. right? I see. You want them like well into your territory. And you don't so, want to put stuff right on that line. Exactly. Um, and so that's a, <laughs> the analogy is a little bit strained here, but you know, for the sake of illustration, just the idea hopefully is, is a little bit more painted now um, that you want to have a big dis distance, as big of a distance as possible between the point and the place where it sort of crosses into the territory of the other, of the other class. Right. So in, in my kind of contrived example where all the blues are on the left and all the reds are on the right and there's all of this space in between, uh, that ideal line, what did you call it again? The maximal margin not margin uh, line would be right down the middle with a good amount of distance on either side as opposed to like diagonally or really close to one of the sides or something like that. Yeah. So the way that I was sort of explaining it earlier when we were preparing for this is imagine that there's two people and they really don't like each other mm -hmm. and they live a mile away from each other. Um, they're on the same street, but just on opposite sides of the street, a mile down the road from one another. Okay. And they want to come up with some kind of like partitioning scheme of the town such that there's minimal chance that they're going to bump into each other. Mm, so like one, one bad idea would be to say, okay, you get that side of the street and I get this side of the street because you're a mile apart you could divide it by the center line of the ra of the road, but then you're probably going to be, you know, ending up walking by each other on the other side of the road. Yeah. So if one person gets the north side, one person gets the south side, but you know they could conceivably, you know, somebody on the north side could be standing ten feet away from somebody on the south side if they happen to be in the same place. East the street west, is right? running east west. I yeah. Assume. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. But if you divide it the other way, then then you've got like half the town. Both sides of the street is one person's, and half the town, both sides of the street, are the other is the others. Yeah. So if you divide it the other way, then you have the one person who lives a half mile away from the boundary, and the other person lives a half mile away from the boundary, and then the chances of them bumping into each other are pretty small. So that would be the boundary in that case is analogous to the decision boundary, um, and then the margin, the distance from any given point to the boundary, uh, is something that we want to maximize, and so that's what makes this a good scheme for splitting up the town is that then the distance from each each individual point that we might care about to the boundary is the biggest it can be given the geometric constraints that we have. So I see why this makes sense in the, in the example of the siblings who hate each other or the people who hate each other, but like in, in a more practical sense or in a more applied sense, why do we want to keep these points far away from the line? Um, because it means that then the the points themselves... Or actually, I should phrase that the other way. Uh -huh. Why do we want to keep the line away from the points? As far away from the points, because the points don't move. Yeah, that's right. Um, well, but the points the points don't move, that's right. But the points themselves are, you know, when you're drawing data, you know that data can be a little bit noisy. And so the specific points that we see 
uh, we shouldn't take as God's truth necessarily. They tend to kind of jitter around. And in general, we want to find something that doesn't just work for these points that we have, but that is most optimal for any future points that we might see that's consistent with the ones we've already seen. So, so these are not the only points we're considering. These are the representational points that are like representing maybe a subset of our data or the data we have currently, but we might get more later. And, you know, they might fall in a similar way, but not exactly the same. Yeah, so if you imagine that new data uh, will probably look, hopefully not totally different than the old data, but it might move around a little bit. And so if you've made a decision boundary whereby the points are really close and the points, you know, the next points that you draw are jitter around a little bit, then you can end up on the wrong side and then you've misclassified and that's a problem. So uh, in general, it's more robust against, you know, the noise that you tend to see organically in data. And it just heuristically makes sense too a little bit um, that you want to, well, I, never mind, withdrawn. But yeah, that's the answer. <laughs> now, the example that we've been talking about, you said, I think, acknowledge, even when we set up the example, let's imagine that all the blue points are way over here and all the red points are way over there. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of different options that we could have about where to put the line, you know, what location, at what angle. Um, is that even a line will come back to this. But let's imagine that it has to be a line for right now. Mm-hmm. Um, if there is a line, well, let me say something that's a little bit technically incorrect, and then I'm going to circle back to it. If there's a line that perfectly separates the two classes from each other, mm-hmm. then we say that the data is perfectly linearly separable. Now, the part about that that's not quite technically correct is that it's not necessarily just a line. It can be a plane. So imagine that we had three dimensions, mm-hmm. and then... You could imagine, you know, a sheet of paper that you could somehow insert between two blobs of data that would divide them perfectly. And in general, the dimensionality of our data can be... As yeah, you can go higher than that. Yeah, so when you talk about maximum margin classifiers, very often you hear about something called, like, hyperplanes. Um, and that's the idea of it's a generalization of linearly separable out of two dimensions, because a line is sort of by definition right. two dimension. or, sorry, line is one dimension... Plane is two dimensions, and then there's these higher dimensional hyperplanes, which would be like three dimensions, four dimensions. Oh, so that's what that word means. Mm-hmm. I never knew that. Yeah. Well, now you know. Got it. So it's kind of like, it's not, they're not actually planes, but... They're not physical planes in the way that we think of them, because they're higher than the dimensionality of... Yeah, you know, but like conceptually, they're used in the same way as we might think of a line or a plane being used. Yeah, so there's basically rules about what makes the formula for a line or what makes the formula for a plane. And for a line, it's that it can have you know, X and Y. For a plane, it's that it can have X, Y, Z. And then you just generalize that to as many dimensions as your data right. set happens to have. Right. Um, and then if, if there is some kind of hyperplane that can perfectly separate the classes, then we say that the data is linearly separable. And when that happens, life tends to be pretty good. But most data isn't linearly separable. So a lot of the exercise in maximum margin classifiers is trying to figure out the trade-off that you want to make between having a large margin and having all the points classified the right way. Um, Because sometimes you can come up with something that has the best margin overall, but at the cost of having one data point on the wrong side. So let's imagine to Mm, be more concrete about mm -hmm. it. Yeah, you have sort of all the blue dots, you have all the red dots, except there's like one blue dot that's sitting right on the margins of the blob that has the red dots. It's like close to the red dots, but you could theoretically draw a line that would still exclude it. They would still exclude it, but maybe there's maybe the better line is kind of equally dividing 
the entirely blue blob from the mostly red. So in other words, sacrifice one blue dot for the uh, margin, for for separating it by the best margin. Yeah, yeah. And so then what you have to do is say basically how important is a good margin to me versus how important is it to get every single... Well, in some cases, you're never going to be able to get every single point on the correct side of the line. But trading off between those two less than optimal outcomes, either having things that get misclassified or having things that are really close to the margin. Um, and so then there's a trade-off, and you have to tune how uh, aggressive you want to be about it. Then there's a little bit more of a judgment that you might make. But in general, again, it's kind of this optimization problem similar that you had before. But instead of just being based on the margin, it's based on the margin and getting everything correct. So that, I think, is a decent introduction to maximal margin classifiers. Again, I think it's just a nice way of thinking about what makes a classifier good, besides just did it get everything on the right side. But in general, the place where this stuff becomes much more interesting is when you start to get into support vector machines, which, as we said at the beginning, have some more technical pieces that need to fall into place before it it all starts to notch together. So those will be things that we cover in the upcoming weeks, week, maybe two. Uh, So stay tuned for that. But for now, uh, maximum margin classifiers, if you happen to have linearly separable data, for example, uh, it can be really nice. (laughs) Or kids who fight. Uh, Yeah, that's right. Linear Digressions is a Creative Commons endeavor, which means you can share or use it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. You can always get in touch with either of us. Our emails are ben at LinearDigressions.com and katie at LinearDigressions.com in case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at Lynn Digressions. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.